Hey, and welcome to the Resound Church podcast. Whether it's your first or your 40th time tuning in, we're so glad you're here. And we pray that you get something powerful from today's sermon. Well, good morning. Everyone's alive, awake. I got off a plane late last night from Dubai, so if I'm a little sleepy, forgive me. We finally flew into Melbourne from Dubai and it was uh, 10 to 10. And you know what? You're just so keen to get off the plane. And then they said, um, please remain in your seat. Uh, we just, we've got a medical situation. You just need to stay in your seat until that's resolved. Well, it took them an hour to... Uh, now, the person, I think, must have had a cough or something. I don't know. They, the medical team come on to the plane and... I didn't see it, but attended to the person. And then we got, um, I'm just getting some feedback, sorry. And, um, and then what happened? They said, oh, they've just got to contact the health department. And when the health department releases you, then you can get off the plane. I thought, oh, here we go. <laughs> I'm thinking, I, there's a nice new residence in Mickleham, you know. I thought I'm going to have to spend seven days there. But fortunately, they let us off and, and that was good. But, and I finally got home after midnight sometimes. So... Um, it's all good. I want to talk to you today about three simple things. Marks, memories, and I can't remember the last one. <laughs> meaning. <laughs> Marks, memories, and meaning. And I want you, as I go through this process, I'll be taking a passage of Scripture and teaching a little bit from that passage of Scripture But whether we realise it or not, our life is filled with marks, memories and meaning. There are things that happen to us as we go through life. You know, next Sunday, as Ruth has already said, is Mother's Day. And so that's a mark. It's a a point at which we do something. And usually Mother's Day provokes memories. But it also has with it meaning. Now, uh, for, for many people, Mother's Day is a great celebration, but it's not always the same for everybody, depending on their experience. And, and so we respect that. But, um, but it is a point at which there is a mark that is made on our lives, one way or the other. You know, I'm not a mother. I probably, most of you probably realise that. But I do have a mother who's here today. And she's marked my life. Now, that can be positive or negative, can't it? I'll let you work that out. <clears throat> She's marked my life. I have memories and meaning connected to uh, my experience as a, a young child growing up and as life has gone on. And so, you know, our lives are filled with these marks, if you like. You've, everyone has a birthday. Put up your hand if you've had a birthday. Yeah, a whole bunch of people are not. <laughs> We all have birthdays. What is a birthday? It's a mark. It's a marker. It indicates that you're another year older, another year beyond when you were first born. You have wedding anniversaries. You have all sorts of other anniversaries. I I love it. It's a bit sickly, actually. Um, but, But young people, oh, this is the anniversary of the first day we went out. I think, I can't remember the first day went out. <laughs> and, and, but, but especially young love, it's so, it's so nice. And, oh, this is the first day you phoned me on the phone or you text me or whatever. Come on. <laughs> but they're marks, aren't they? And, and with those marks are memories. And, and, and when there's a memory, you attach meaning to it. And so there are positive marks, but there are negative marks as well. You know, it might be a funeral 
the loss of a loved one. It could be, you know, a dispute that you had with somebody. It could be a surgery. It could be an accident. They, marks remind us of both good times and difficult times as well. You know, for me, you know, I've got this mark now on my face. It's obvious to most people. And it, it creates memories, you know, and I've already shared with you my memories of what happened as I was going through the surgery. And it has meaning. And I'll get to you, I'll get to talking about meaning a little later because meaning is the option we have. The others are, 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 are obligatory. In other words, many marks are obligatory. The memories that we have of them are obligatory, but meaning is a choice that we make. You know, I don't know about you, but if you try and recall the first 10 years of your life, you can't recall much at all. I don't know why we spend so much money on presents and everything for little kids. They don't know. Later on in life, I can't remember. My mum and dad didn't give me anything for the first 10 years of my life. Or if they did, I can't remember. Well, I do remember I had a bike. And I do remember another... I had a little motorbike as well, which mum crashed into a post... But really, the first 10 years of your life, most of us don't remember much at all. As a matter of fact, second 10 years, we probably don't remember much either. Maybe in the last 10 years, we don't remember much. It's interesting, isn't it? For all the time and effort that goes into living, there's not much that we remember, but what we do remember are the markers. Something that happened. Now, how, how can I say this nicely? If you don't remember a lot from the first 10 years of your life, it's probably a good thing. Because the goal is that we remember the good things and not the bad. And for for you, if there wasn't a mark made in those first 10 years of your life, then it's probably a good, it probably meant things were going well. You might have been a highlight, there might have been a low light, but most of the time it just disappears. It's a funny thing for us, you know, as, as parents and as grandparents, you enjoy those first 10 years, don't you? Or maybe there are some that you don't. Maybe you is it the, from two to three you don't enjoy that? I'm not sure. There's a mark on a parent's life. I remember when you were three years old and you did this. I remember when you were three years old and you did this. And it just the list goes on and on and on. But it's interesting because most of it just goes. It just disappears. It drifts away. As we go through the process of reading this passage of Scripture, I want to explain to you a little bit about Marks, memories and meanings. Joshua 22, verse 10 to 34. And I know it's a long passage, but I'll explain some things as we go through. It says, verse 10, But while they were still in Canaan, and when they came to a place called Galeoth, near the Jordan River, the men of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh stopped to build a large and imposing altar, or to make a mark. Let me just stop there for a few minutes. What has happened is Israel's crossed over the Jordan River into, uh, into the Promised Land, if you like. They've gone through a process of, of taking possession of the land. Now, the tribes that we just spoke about are actually returning back to the other side of the Jordan where out there, the land that was going to be theirs was allocated. And they had made a commitment to Moses to go and help the rest of the Israelites take the promised land. And once that task was complete, if you could just pass me the water bottle, please. <coughs> once that... 
That's just a hold. <laughs> Once the task was complete, they were going to travel back to the Jordan, cross back over the Jordan and go to their own land. But in the process of travelling back, it says they stopped to build a large and imposing altar. In other words, what they were doing was they were making a mark. Now we, you know, you go to the beach and especially when you were younger, you'd make marks in the sand. You'd, you'd do things and they'd quickly wash away. But these people were making a mark. Verse 11 says this, the rest of Israel heard that the people of Reuben, Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh had built an altar at Galiloth at the edge of the land of Canaan on the west side of the Jordan River. So the whole community of Israel gathered at Shiloh and prepared to go to war against them. This is amazing. They've just been at war with everybody else. And now the two and a half tribes that were considered a part of the effort to gain the promised land, set up an altar and so the rest of Israel hears about it and they think we're going to war against these brothers. It's an interesting thing. It says, they, uh, verse 13, first however, they sent a delegation led by Phineas, son of Eliza, the priest, to talk with the tribes of Reuben Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh. In this delegation were 10 leaders of Israel, one from each of the 10 tribes and each the head of his family within the clans of Israel. When they arrived in the land of Gilead, they said to the tribes of Reuben, Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh, verse 16, the whole community of the Lord demands to know why you are betraying the God of Israel. Stop for a moment there. They made an assumption about what the two and a half tribes were doing. The two and a half tribes were making a mark, a memorial. And the the rest of the tribes had made an assumption about what they were doing and they were ready to go to war. How many times in our personal life have we done the same thing? When somebody has gone about to do something, we've made an assumption about their motive and we've gone to war against them before ever we've asked why it is that they're doing what they're doing. Marks are an interesting thing. It says, how could you turn away from the Lord and build an altar for yourselves in rebellion against him? Was our sin at Peor not enough? To this day, we are not fully cleansed of it, even after the plague that struck the entire community of the Lord. And so what we've got is nine and a half tribes making an assumption about two and a half tribes, accusing them of doing something and then reacting or being triggered by something that had happened earlier while they were in the wilderness and they're ready to bring them to account for it. You see, when you make an assumption about somebody else's actions and then load it with history or with past markers, past memorials or past meaning, what you do is you carry the weight of all of that into the situation and bang, you've got a war all at once. Do you know when we're arguing with one another, that's what we do. We don't usually argue just about the simple thing that's at stake, but we usually load it with meaning from the past. 
Ruth, where is the receipts? These, this is something we have a dispute about. <laughs> I can't find this receipt. I know, but you say that. We've been saying it for 35 years. <laughs> you know, so straight away, I bring in history. Because why? Because I want to win the argument. I want to increase the accusation. And then Ruth panics, thinking, I know I've got the receipt somewhere. And she goes to one bag and then another bag into the car and into her office. And, and, and eventually... She accepts that she can't find it anymore. But we find it later all screwed up somewhere else. But the point is this, not the receipt, that's not the point. It's a marker. But the point is this, I bring into it past actions. And when you bring past action into it, it uh, it loads the conversation with a lot more meaning than it demanded. Now, some of you, I know most of you are happily married and you never have any arguments, that's right, isn't it? And then even when you do have an argument, it's never loaded with meaning from some other past experience. You know, from time to time, we've talked to people about the arguments they have with one another and you find that most of the time people, they don't know what they're arguing about, but it's usually nothing worth arguing about, but they've loaded it with meaning. Meaning from the past... And they've superimposed the meaning from the past onto that argument in the hope of winning the argument. And in doing so, that what they've caused is a, is a ruckus that doesn't compare to the situation. And that's what the nine and a half tribes are doing here. Wasn't our sin at Peor not enough? To this day, we are not fully cleansed of it, even after the plague that struck the entire community of the Lord. And yet today, verse 18, yet today you are turning away from following the Lord. If you rebel against the Lord today, he will be angry with all of us tomorrow. And so it's gone from the two and a half tribes setting up an altar to the nine and a half tribes saying everything that's happened in the past that God has punished us for, you're about to make happen all over again. It's your fault that we're in this strife. It's your fault. God's God's going to bring a plague and destroy you all because of what you're doing. And so you can see how the meaning from the past, the memorial from the past has come to bear on the present as the two and a half tribes are looking to build a new altar. And and, and there is something profound in this because the pattern, like it or not, that we find here in the scriptures is the same pattern we apply in our lives today. I say this respectfully, but, you know, Mother's Day is painful for some people. Why? Because they overlay on the current moment what's happened in the past. It's like a replay and it keeps playing over again. And then what what you do is you bring up the past presently and the pain continues. Let's read on. Verse 19. If you need the altar because the land you possess is defiled, then join us in the Lord's land where the tabernacle of the Lord is situated and share our land with us. He's trying to come up with a solution. But again, listen to these accusations. But do not rebel against the Lord or against us by building an altar other than the one true altar of the Lord our God. Didn't, and he goes back to the past again, didn't divine anger fall on the entire community of Israel when Achan, a member of the clan of Zerah, sinned by stealing the things set apart for the Lord? 
He was not the only one who died because of his sin. Now, the, the sin of Achan happened when they'd already crossed over the Jordan River and they'd gone round Jericho seven times and the walls had come down and they'd win a war. And what happened is Achan took some things that he hid it, but as a result of what he did, many people died and they'd gone to war against Ai and they'd lost a war that they should have won simply because of Achan's sin. And what, they're trying, what the nine and a half tribes are trying to do now is lay that on these group of people as well saying you're just the same, you're just the same. And, and, and you know, too many times in our lives, what we do is we load our arguments with memories or markers from the past and we do more damage than good. As a matter of fact, what we do is we, is we open an old wound. We know what that means. It's sort of like we cut somebody again in the same place that they've been cut before. Verse 21 says this, Then the people of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh answered the heads of the clans of Israel. Listen to the way they responded. The Lord, the mighty one, is God. The Lord, the mighty one, is God. He knows the truth, and may Israel know it too. So their first part of the argument is to state again their loyalty to God. And the second part of their argument is to say, God knows the truth in this. In other words, you don't know what you're talking about. And too often what we do when we we get involved in disputes with one another, we don't acknowledge God, nor do we necessarily accept that God knows and maybe somebody else doesn't. If I do something that seems questionable to you, you lay your assumptions on what I do and all of a sudden I'm guilty of something that I never knew that I was guilty of. And my response is, hey, listen, God knows what I do. God knows who I am. It goes on. We have not built the altar in treacherous rebellion against the Lord, if we have done so, do not spare our lives today. In other words, if we're guilty, we're happy to pay the price. If we've built an altar for ourselves to turn away from the Lord or to burn, to offer burnt offerings or grain offerings or peace offerings, may the Lord himself punish us. In other words, we don't want just your punishment. We're happy for God to punish us if we've done the wrong thing. The truth is, verse 24, The truth is, wouldn't it be good if each of us in our relationships with one another could deal with one another based on truth? Not just on a fact that exists, but on the truth of our our emotions, our motives. The reality is this, as a result of the fall, none of us connect well. Communication has always been broken down. I, I... say something with words that are imperfect, from an imperfect position, you hear those words from an imperfect position and an, in, an underdeveloped understanding, and therefore there's confusion that takes place. Now, I'm not making an accusation here. What I'm saying is this is, this is what happens to us all the time. And even now, Even now, you know, Ruth and I have been married a long, long, long time. There still exists the possibility of confusion 
or the overlay of motive. I don't expect that there will ever be a point of perfection until we die. And the reason is, is because not one of us completely understands one another. I know, you, you know, over the years there have been these specula- movies speculating about how we'll communicate with each other in the future simply by our thoughts. I don't want to communicate with you based on my thoughts because my thoughts are random and weird. <laughs> and, 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 you know, um, the Bible is clear that we're to take every thought captive. In other words, we're to take the things that pop into our mind and deal with them in a disciplined way to ensure that they, we don't act on some of those silly things. But look at this. The truth is, we have built this altar because we fear that in the future, your descendants will say to ours, what right do you have to worship the Lord, the God of Israel? The Lord has placed the Jordan River as a barrier between our people and you people of Reuben and Gad. You have no claim to the Lord. So your descendants may prevent prevent our descendants from worshiping the Lord. I mucked that up a bit as I was reading it, but, but what they were saying is, hey, the reason we're building an altar is not just so that we remember, but so that you remember. The two and a half tribes are saying, just because we're on the other side of the Jordan River, which to us seems insignificant, but to them was a significant barrier. What, what they were saying is, the two and a half tribes were thinking, if we don't build this altar as a memorial for us to remember and for you to remember, there will come a point at which you no longer believe that we're part of you. And that's a significant thing. It's a dangerous thing. Because, you you know, on the one hand, we've got the nine and a half tribes making accusations against the two and a half tribes. Now we've got as a response. But they start with the truth. And so the truth is, meaning we've got the upper hand here, what they actually do is then they do exactly the same thing. The only reason we're doing this is because you people are evil and, it, and we believe the day is coming when you'll forget us. That's what they're saying in essence. And so you've got this argument continuing backwards and forwards, backwards and forwards, all about markers and memories. So we decided, verse 26, to build the altar, not for burnt offerings or sacrifices, But as a memorial, it will remind our descendants and your descendants that we too have the right to worship the Lord at his sanctuary with our burnt offerings and sacrifices and peace offerings. Then your descendants will not be able to say to ours, you have no claim to the Lord. Verse 28. If they say this, our descendants can reply. Look at this copy of the Lord's altar that our ancestors made it is not for burnt off burnt offerings or sacrifices it is a reminder of the relationship both of us have with the lord far be it from us to rebel against the lord or turn away from him by building our own altar for burnt offerings grain offerings or sacrifices only the altar of the lord our god that stands in front of the tabernacle may be used for that purpose when phineas the priest and the leaders of the community the heads of the clans of israel heard from this Heard this from the tribes of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. They were satisfied. Phinehas, son of Eliza, Eliza, the priest, replied, Today we know the Lord is among us because you have not committed this treachery against the Lord as we thought. In other words, he apologized. Instead, you have rescued Israel from being destroyed by the hand of God. Then Phineas, the son of Eliza, the priest, and the other leaders left the tribes of Reuben and Gad and Gilead and returned to the land of Canaan to tell the Israelites what had happened. In other words, 
to spread the truth rather than what they'd spread earlier. And all the Israelites were satisfied and praised God, spoke no more of war against Reuben and Gad. The people of Reuben and Gad named the altar witness, for they said, it is a witness between us and them that the Lord is our God too. There's a current phenomena in the nations of the West to remove statues built in honour of people. And the reason people are removing those statues is because the current day is placing meaning on those statues that the people that erected them possibly didn't have. And so what they're doing is they're destroying the memorial, destroying the mark, destroying simply because they've adjusted the meaning. I've seen lots of memorials. Most of them don't explain fully why they're there, but they're there to honour a person or, or an event. But what happens is another generation come along, superimposed a different meaning on it, and therefore tries to destroy it. All of this may seem strange to you, but do you know your life is full of marks, full of memories, and the only thing that you can do is ensure that the meaning you place is appropriate. It was good that the nine and a half tribes got to a point where they acknowledged that the two and a half tribes placed meaning on that memorial that was good. But the problem existed because of the meaning that the nine and a half tribes placed on the memorial that the two and a half tribes didn't have in their heart at all. Do you know, in understanding one another, it comes back to meaning. What is Ruth meaning when she says she loves me? What am I meaning when I say I love her? When Ruth says she loves me, she's meaning that means he makes coffee in the morning for me. When I say I love her, that means she's cleaned the house. And I mean this seriously because, you, you know, we've talked about the five love languages. My way of receiving love is through acts of service. Ruth's way of receiving love is through gifts, kind words. I'm better at the gifts than the kind words. There are things that happen in your life and the choice you have is to place an appropriate meaning on them. There are celebrations that are easier to place a great meaning on, but there are also difficult times that we place meaning on as well. And the meaning we place determines how we live our lives how we feel about life, how we treat the people around about us. Paul goes on and he says this, he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. You've been marked and you have memories both positive and negative but the meaning you infuse into the memories that you have is a choice that you make. There are things that have happened to you that 
that you remember, and they may well be painful, but what you take from that pain is a choice you make. It's yours to choose. You know, I mentioned before, you know, obviously I had surgery on my face and um, it was a melanoma. And, 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 you know, some people, oh, how did you survive? Or all sorts of things. And I said, hey, listen, but we, we got it quick. Unfortunately, I'm going to live with the look I've got for the rest of my life. But ultimately, had I not, had they not found it, I wouldn't be alive to worry about it. So for me, it's a positive thing. Somehow God gave us wisdom in doctors and it brought about a good result. So for me, the meaning is this, God loves me. When there are difficult times, most of the time the meaning I place on that is, you know what, God still loves us. When there are times of celebration, God still loves us. My question to you is, what meaning are you placing on the markers in your life? What memories have you got that need to be reinterpreted to give meaning that does you good? As parents, as grandparents, what we want to do is we want to create marks on our children and our grandchildren positively. But sometimes the negative marks are, are helpful because they're saving marks. They're things that we say or things that we do that protect. That's why, you know, with little children, we're strong about keeping them safe. We don't want them to hurt themselves. We don't want them to get into water where they can't swim. There are so many things that we do, and usually when we're trying to save them from a situation, we're strong or difficult or harsh. And the point is to make a mark so they don't do it again. We don't want a child to run in front of a car. And if that means we make a mark on them so they don't do that, then it's worth doing because hopefully they'll remember that the next time. The meaning, meaning is one of love. And so my question to you today is, what meaning are you placing on the markers in your life? And what marks are you making on others that will give them a meaning that is valuable to them? There's too much confusion, too much difficulty. The great thing about the story in the book of Joshua is this, is that while there was disputes, while there was um, weight brought to the argument, ultimately they talked it through and come to a place where they understood one another. And the memorial stood not just as it was originally intended, but it stood as a point of understanding for the nine and a half tribes and the two and a half tribes. And that marker, which I'm sure is well and truly gone by now, that marker meant something to those who've seen it regularly. Let me pray. Father, you've marked all of our lives. There's a point at which we first met you. There have been many points since where you've continued to meet with us. Some of those Markers uh, more memorable than others. Father, I pray that you would help us to impose meaning on those marks and those memories so that our response honors you and does us all good.
I pray for the times where there's been disputes, where there's been upset, where there's been misunderstanding. That you would help us to act with wisdom. That the outcome might honour you just as the outcome of this circumstance that we read about this morning honours you as well. Ultimately, Father, just as Paul, we want to be able to say to live is Christ. In other words, we will live to honour him and to die is is for our benefit and for that we give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening through this message recorded live at Resound Church in Melbourne. You can find out more about who we are online, including our service times and live streams. Have a great week and we'll catch you next time.